Want to hear your favorite Sir shows in CD quality and ad-free? Then sign up for Smodcast, a premium content archive launching in July. Membership has its perks, including access to ticketed events before anybody else. And if you pre-order Smodcast now, you'll get a kick-ass merchandise bundle, including comics, a mini-poster, stickers, a mystery shirt, and more. The first 150 pre-orders will also receive either a clerk's lunchbox or a chronic action figure. The merchandise bundle is just 25 bucks plus shipping and handling, and includes your first month of Smodcast access. After that, your credit card will be billed just $4.99 a month for ad-free, high-quality versions of every Smodcast internet radio show. Smodcast, where Smodcast goes say for pay. Sign up at Smodcast.com. Live from the John Lovitz Podcast Theater in the heart of the beautiful City Walk. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the ABCs of SNL with John Lovitz and your host, Kevin Smith. Right on, everybody. Welcome to the John Lovitz Podcast Theater, where we're going to sit here Thank and talk you. to John Lovitz. Uh, so strange, man. How cool is that? You telling your life story in a theater named after you that you own. It's unbelievable, because the truth is, I never thought I'd be on Saturday Night Live. And when I got the show for five years, I couldn't say Saturday Night Live. People go, what are you on? I'm on Saturday Night Live. I literally couldn't say it. Why? Was so, what was the... Because the, I was so blown away by being on that show. Because it was a... You know, I was his 10th year. Lauren Michaels was back. And it was... You know, I watched it in college. And I never imagined I'd be on it, ever. You know, and all of a sudden I'm there. And on the... Uh, the f- offices are on the 17th floor. But the studio's on the on the 8th floor. Mm. 8H, that's why... Because <coughs> it's the 8th floor in Studio H. And then on... Uh, the bleachers, and when you see the show, it's the ninth floor. And what, they used to do tours of NBC, a press tour. And they'd go in on the ninth floor, and uh, in the lobby of the ninth floor, there was a, um, overlooking the studio, was a glass case. And in that case was uh, John Belushi's bee costume on a mannequin. And then they had Eddie Murphy as Gumby with the life mask of Eddie Murphy. And I just remember looking at that and thinking, oh, shit. I, I can't do what they do. What the hell am I going to do? So this is I, 1985, as you mentioned before. This is Lorne Michaels had returned. Uh, the show had been on the air for about ten years. After I guess the first five or six, he took off for a while. Uh, after the fifth year, he left in he 1980. Left after the fifth year. Um, yeah. Then Gene Demanion takes over for one very bad disastrous year. Then Dick Ebersol takes over for a few years, and then Dick Ebersol. Uh, at the end of the 84-85 season, or, uh, decides that uh, Saturday Night Live should be more on tape than it should be live. So he was pushing to shut down for six months and just start shooting, compiling everything and shooting. And then the live portion, while it would be an hour and a half, most of it would be intros and bumpers, live bumpers. Oh, really? I never knew that. Um, I'm a SNL nerd. Um, you just lived it. I watched it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so basically, uh, NBC and Dick Ebersaw part ways after he'd produced the show for a while. And then they reached out to Lauren Michaels, who, as you said, left. And then he'd done the new show over at ABC, I think. Yeah, he did another show Fridays called The New Show, which well. was basically a sketch show in prime time. Right. But I, th- I think it didn't, uh, it, it got canceled. And Which was lured, the first time he, he, I think he had something that didn't succeed. Otherwise, he'd been a, you know, he was called the boy wonder, a genius, and, you know. Um, so they bring him back, and Lorne Michaels uh, puts together a brand new cast from scratch. Nobody from the previous season really returns. No, well, I, I knew, like, the previous season, uh, I, uh, a friend of mine at the time, she said, hey, the show's funny again. And uh, watching it, and that's when Billy Crystal was on it, and. Doing You Look Marvelous and Christopher Guest and Martin Short. Yeah, and it was, it was very funny. But there were people funny on it before that. You know, Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo were great. A lot of people were on it, you know. And, uh, um, Julia Louis Dreyfus was on the show. But she hit afterwards. Some, it's a tough show to do because it's, uh, 
it, it's just really it's well we'll get into that later it's just very tough this is the cast that Lauren Michaels assembles uh, for the 85-86 season of which is your debut on SNL um, Joan Cusack Robert Downey Jr. How, what what the fuck happened to you man <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is what Iron happened to man. me yeah 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 this guy you popped. son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, Nora... I didn't do drugs. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> Nora Dunn, Anthony Michael Hall, John Lovitz. Look at this fucking young picture of you, man. Yeah, it looks like my son. <laughs> uh, Dennis Miller, Randy Quaid, Terry Sweeney, who was the first openly gay SNL member. Right. Denitra Vance, who was the first female <laughs> black cast member. Uh, and then you had some contributors like A. Whitney Brown, uh, Al Franken came back, Don Novello came back to do Father Guido Sarducci. There's a guy named Dan Vitale, who was kind of in and out pretty quickly. And then another dude yeah, Dan. named Damon Wayans, who... Who stuck around for a little while and then went off. Damon was a feature, was hired as a feature player, right? And I was supposed to do a weekend update, and there were these two guys from Boston in charge of it, and they kept saying, "Just," I was trying to be funny, and they go, "No, no, just play it straight, be real, be real." And about a week later, Lawrence says, uh, "John, we're going to hire uh, Dennis Miller to do weekend update, but don't worry about it; you'll have plenty to do." I was like, "Oh, well, all right." Were you scared? Were you like, "That was my job. What do I have?" No. Well, I. I I wanted to do it, but I, I trusted him because he, when he said, don't worry, you'll have plenty to do, I went, oh, well, okay. All right, so you got the gig, and we talked about it in the last show. Um, you move out to New York at this point? Because you're from out here. Yeah, I got, I, I found, I, I got a part in this movie called uh, Rat Boy. Sandra Locke directed it. It was dating Clint, or Clint Eastwood's girlfriend. And the people are in it. They're all unknown. There's one big party scene. I think it's me, Kevin Nealon's in it, Bill Maher. Louis Anderson, I forget who else, but we were all unknown. And then I did a voiceover to a cartoon, The Brave Little Toaster, the day before I flew out to New York. So wait, so you did The Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, I did it in five hours. Which and Robert do. Downey Jr. did Iron Man. <laughs> and you did Cop Out. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I got the show. I'll tell you some story. I get the shows. Anthony Michael Hall was, you know, those sixteen candles movie. Well, um, he had just come off of that season. He had uh, uh, um, the Breakfast Club had come out. Yeah, the Breakfast Club. He, he was, was the a youngest huge star. member of SNL in the history of the show, still before and since. Yeah, he was 17. seventeen. And I remember I went with him to uh, across the street from Rockefeller Center, Saks Fifth Avenue. He was going over there. I don't know why. So we go over there, and somebody asked him for his autograph. And I'm watching him sign it, and I said, oh, my God, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. He goes, well, don't worry, it'll happen to you. And it was very strange because I knew that we had two weeks before the show was going to start, and I knew that in two weeks I'd be on television and, and it would start to get known. And it was very strange thinking about that, like, I'm going to be famous because no one knew who I was. And I, I mean, the first piece I wrote was exactly about that for Weekend Update. And I wrote, hi, I'm John Lovitz, which means what? Nothing. Exactly. That's my point. Who the hell am I? And yet, Lauren hired me. I think he's lost it. I mean, the guy that hired Belushi and Chevy Chase, now he's hiring me? I go, what is he, insane? This is ridiculous. And then I had a voiceover going, Lauren going, John, that's enough. I go, no, but really, Lauren, it's crazy. He goes, cut the mic. And I keep going. You know, he goes, you know, cut the mic. And here, live from Saturday night. Oh, because they cut the mic? Yeah, yeah. But they didn't do it. I was making fun of myself, I guess, and him. That sounds like a like really it. funny bit. <laughs> Jersey girl. Is that, that was the first thing you did on SNL broadcast? That's the first thing I submitted. Explain that process. Well, wait, take me back. You, had, you were living out here. You get the job. So I get the job, and I, I you find out. move out there. And I move out. I have nowhere to live. They go, you have two weeks to find a place. So I, I found this... A, there's an author, uh, William Styron, and he has a daughter who, who had an apartment, and she was friends with 
Dinah Minot, who Dinah was one of the producers on SNL. So Dinah goes, I didn't know anything. She goes, well, my friend, I forget her first name, uh, she, um, she has an apartment. So I checked it out. It was like a one-room studio. So I said, fine, I'll take it. And I lived in this place. It was on 70, 20th West 72nd Street. The Franconia, it was called. And I lived there for like two years. And I didn't have any furniture. I had like one a mattress on the floor. Did it matter? How much time do you spend at your apartment when you're working on the show? Just, you're at the show, like, oh, you're, you're there, and then you, you, you eat, and then you go home and sleep. This is like 80 hours a week. I mean, it's really tough. And the first host was Madonna. So the first thing I ever shot on Saturday Night Live was this 2 o'clock in the morning in Central Park, and the sketch was, a, uh, George Meyer wrote it, who now writes in The Simpsons, but it was a, Madonna's driving through the park in her car, and she hears this, she keeps hearing this banging noise from her hood. And she opens it up, and I'm in there, and I jump out and attack her. Sean Penn was there. And he, you know, at the time was known for beating everybody up. I'm like, oh, great. Here I am, you know, rolling on top of his girlfriend. He's, you know. But he, I ended up uh, becoming friends with him. But uh, it was... What, uh, Sean Penn? Yeah. Well, what happened was, that first night, Penny Marshall was, was uh, uh, friends with Lauren. And I slowly realized, like, everybody knew each other. Like, they go, you know Charles Grodin? Oh, yeah, I'm friends with him. You know so-and-so? It was like a very small world. Like, everybody knew everybody that was famous. It was like this club. So Penny Marshall was hanging out at this, uh, that night, and she's talking to me, and she just befriended me and took me under her wing. And the opening night of the show, we all got these lunch boxes, And mine was like a Knight Rider lunchbox, and it was from Penny. It said, your Saturday Night Live survival kit. And I opened it up, and there's like Maalox and Tums and... <laughs> cough medicine, all this stuff. I had no idea what that meant. Later I did. I got it. And, uh, and she was great to me. And then one day she says, uh, <clears throat> she brings me to this restaurant at 69th and Columbus where all the actors would hang out. Before they used to hang out at this place called Cafe Central. And then they sold that and they all moved to Columbus. So she introduced me to this guy, Paul Herman, who's like one of the owners and like kind of the host of the restaurant. Robert De Niro had invested in it. He'd be there. Regis Philbin. I met Barishnikov there. Became Misha. You know, I met everybody there. One night I'm hanging out with David Bowie and Mick Jagger. And I'm in there, this booth, and I'm with the Dennis Miller and Corbin Bernson who had hit on L.A. Law. And we're all looking at each other like, can you believe it? We're hanging out with Jagger and Bowie. And we're, I mean, I met Mike Tyson like four months before he became champion. And it, it, it was fun. It was like this, Danny Aiello, Great actor. He was there all the time. He, he befriended me and remember he took me across the street. He was doing a play at Lincoln Center, House of Blue Leaves. <laughs> and I'm watching the, the play and there's this kid in it about 20 and I go, well, the play's good on that kid. I don't think he's very good. Right? Ben Stiller. What do I know? <laughs> and, uh, and, um, Sean Penn. So I met everybody. So Sean, so one night I'm in there, Sean's in there, and he goes, hey man, that liar thing you do, yeah, that's the ticket. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And he loved it. I met, and anyway, that's, and I ended up becoming friends with him, and Christopher Walken was there. He'd walk in. Christopher Walken, you know, everyone makes fun of him, but he's really funny, but he, he would come in there, and his hair was like straight up and about four inches high off his head. Just sticking straight up with these eyes. He'd wear all black and a big overcoat, you know, and he's looking around. And he, I mean, he just looked like he was going to kill somebody. <laughs> Scary as shit, right? Then, then I walk into him and he looks at me and he goes, and he points at me and his eyes get big. He goes, ah, the devil, you know, and, I done, and, and then he befriended me. He was referring to the devil character that you played. Big fan. Yeah, he was a fan of that. And so um, I, did, I remember I did the first show and the first sketch, it was like a, a, a I don't know, it was a, <coughs> a panel and a talk show, and I coughed like I did now. I was thinking about it. And first, there, and I remember thinking, well, I'll, I'll either make it now or I won't. Like, I hit my top or I won't. And the thing is, Dinah, who I love, imagine this, though. She's, I still tease her about it. She says, okay, John, now that you have the show, she says, uh, so I want to tell you who we think are going to be the big stars in the show the first season. And she says to me, like, Joan Cusack, Michael Hall, and Robert Downey, <coughs> And like Nora or something like that. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, I am I'm in the cast too. Just so you know. And I was like the last person uh, they expected to get it. I remember I ran into a friend of mine at the auditions, uh, uh, Liz Warner, who I'd gone to college with, and she was working on the staff. 
She says, what are you doing here? I go, I'm listening for Saturday Live. She goes, oh, yeah, like, you're going to get it. And then I get it, and I'm like, mm, hello, how you doing? <laughs> and um, it was, anyway, we, so they, they're talking to all of us, and I'm thinking, okay, we're live on the air. 30 million people are watching the show live. And I'm just so nervous, and you see me like, <clears throat> like this. And then I went, oh, well, no, no, it's three hours later in California. Okay, that cuts out 20 million. I didn't know how many people watched the show. It was like 5 million. I thought it was like 30 million. It wasn't. But so they're doing this talk show and they ask. Wait, the notion that people, it wasn't live on the West Coast made you feel better suddenly? Li- like, yeah, a little bit relaxed. Because there were less people presumably watching. Right. Live. But live. they'd be seeing it three hours later. Right. But, but they weren't watching like it live. So right. I went like, oh, wait, it's not that many. But I was still really nervous. And I see Denitra, or, or they ask Nora Dunn a question. She goes, well, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, God, they look like pros. They don't look nervous at all. This is all going through my head. They she doesn't look nervous at all. Holy shit. Then they go to, like, uh, Denitra, da, 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 da. She's like nothing, like nothing, like a pro. I'm like, fuck. They're amazing. What am I going to do? They're going to get to me in a second. Then they go to Terry Sweeney. He's like, da, 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 doing his thing. I'm like, oh, my God. And my heart's just going boom, boom. And they get to me, and I'm like, they go, well, you have a question? They go, <clears throat> yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Da, 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 da. And I say what I say, you know. I'm like, oh, phew, right? I was so nervous. So then there's another ske- next sketch uh, with Madonna and I. Madonna plays uh, Princess Diana, <coughs> and I'm Prince Philip. And we do the sketch. Well, anyway, there's we have cue cards, right? And 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 I'm thinking, oh, I don't have to learn my lines. I can just look at the card really quick. And then look back, and the camera will never catch it. And so, but it did, of course, because I look like this. I go, yeah, how you doing? Anyway, and, you know, you look fat. You think you can beat out the camera, but you can't. But anyway, you're going off these cue cards. Well, Madonna, all of a sudden on the cue cards, like her lines are in, say, uh, blue and mine are in red or whatever. She says my lines. She skipped her lines and said mine. And this is live. And I'm like, and I notice it, right? Well, the good news was I'd been doing acting and sketch for three years in the Growlings and acting for 21 plays and all this training. All of a sudden, it just kicked in, all my training. So I took her line from before, and then I tied it in with my next line, and then we kept going. So nobody ever knew. But all of a sudden, it took all the attention off of myself and on the scene and what was going on, and then I was, you know, I was okay. You were okay because you felt superior to Madonna. <laughs> well, she'd never acted before, and, and I'd done it. You know, and all of a sudden you go like, oh, I've done this. It would be right. like, you know, you're a big hockey fan. Like, you finally get your shot. You play hockey your life in the, in the hockey, and all of a sudden something happens, and you're like, oh, I'm in the NHL. You go, oh, I'm playing hockey. And then you start playing hockey, and you go, oh, I know what to do. And, you know, I would still get nervous before shows, but not like it. I just that wear way. hockey jerseys, dude. I... I... <laughs> If they would put me in the NHL, I'd have a heart attack on the ice. I saw that. You'd many... be a fighter. No, I'd see that many athletes coming out. But if me, you had a heart like, attack, oh, ah. I mean, Kevin, I mean, I'm not going to make fun of you because yes. I think you're a great guy. But you're always talking about your, you know, how heavy you are and your weight. And to me, if you're a hockey player, you'd probably just, you know, hug the guy, have a heart attack, and then your weight would, you'd collapse on the guy, and you would be very effective. <laughs> And smother him with your belly. Totally. They could just uh, shovel me into a net. I could lay there on the ice and block. Wouldn't that be pucks. funny? You're just on ice sleeping the whole time <laughs> on your skates. But to see, you. that would be a good sketch. Yes, back to me, please. Um, so, wait. So, uh, when we last left off, you were like, I'm so way was, better than Madonna. I was very nervous. And then I remember in the dressing room after the show, she introduced me to Sean. She goes, Sean, this is John Lovitz. He's you know, in the cast. He helped me a lot. And boy, he shot me a look like, yeah, I bet he did, you know. <laughs> but I ended up becoming friends with them. And I actually went to their house once in Malibu. <laughs> Sean, he's like, he's a very funny guy. So I go, I go to use the, um, I say, I have to use your bathroom. Well, anybody who knows me, you know, if I say I have to use your bathroom, it's like, it's not to pee. <laughs> and I'm in there for like an hour. <laughs> That's just who I am. So I finally come out of the bathroom and Madonna's there and he goes, Hey, Madonna, John Lovitz just took a dump in our house. I'm like, thanks a lot. And she looks at me, she goes, What are you doing here? I'm like, 
What are you doing here? Get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. I'm the guest, you know. Um, when but they were both really nice. When, you're, uh, when you get there, and uh, how much time do you have before a first episode and... You, well, you want to say prep time? Did you have to? They make you guys hang out, go out to dinner. Did you bond with writers? Well, the, the, the first show is different than any other show because usually you have a week to prepare. This one we had two weeks. Nobody knew each other. Um, Lauren said, "Let's do improvs," and and so we went to some. That was called Nola Studios, which is a famous like dance studio in New York where they have you can rent out rehearsal space. So I, and then he would have us do improvs, and Dennis Miller was there. He'd never done them, and then he would just. Like, we would do some improv, and then we would, like, get in a fight, and he would just tackle me, and I'd be laughing, and, you know, it was, he was actually pretty, he was, well, you know, a lot of it's, like, you know, I'm a stand-up, and I've done these improv stuff, you know, okay, what do I do, you know, and I go, well, I'll do this, but he was actually very good at it, and I go, you're good at it, you know, and trying to get the cast to gel. He had a bit once on the news where, uh, and then he did it in his stand-up routine, too. Where he's like, you know, I just like to start off with a little improv for the crowd. He's like, uh, this is my bit. I do a character called Coco the Clown, and this is how Coco eats corn. And then he starts, and he goes, nah, I'm just fucking with you. I don't do that shit. Right. Well, because what would happen is he'd be frustrated that he wasn't in the sketches. Right. But the way the show worked was, like, you, what, you want to, basically, you get there on Monday, it's like 6 o'clock, and you meet the host. And we're, we're in Lauren's office, and he's behind his desk. And his office, you know, it's a beautiful office. It's got a, behind him, there's a big a window with the, the Empire State Building behind it. And he sits in his chair. And we're on, there's a few couches and chairs, but pretty much everyone else is on the floor. You're just packed in there. And the host's sitting up there, and it's always some movie star. And you go around the room, and everyone says their ideas for sketches. And then you go home. Then Tuesday, you start, you get there like five or six or seven, and Lauren, depending on who the host is, he'll, he'll take the host to dinner that night. But otherwise, you're talking about ideas. You start at like 10 o'clock writing. It's like college cramming. I was there. I was writing three sketches a night. Now, in the Groundlings, you'd write a sketch, and you'd have two weeks to write a sketch. Two weeks, and that was hard. I was writing three a night. I would be there from like 8 at night or 7 at night, and I'd be there till 7 the next morning. Does every performer have to write as well? Well, you don't you you don't have to, but you know they they say give us a list of your characters that you've already created, and then you own those, and then and then the other characters that you create while you're here we own, and um, so it's just kind of inferred. Yeah, you're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to do, but you don't get credit, you don't get paid to write. But which character did you own? Any characters coming in? Yeah, well, sure. I own well. I did my liar character. I own Master Thespian, Eddie Spumoso. Uh, um, Biff Lorenzo I, and I, I don't really remember the others but there were uh, some others there's about I don't know 8 to 10 I think or maybe 8 7, 6, 5 <laughs> there was, there was, yeah and um, and so so but everyone writes all night so then Wednesday you come back and from uh, 3 to 5 is read through so you read through, so what happens is there's a table with like these four big tables in the in the writer's room it's just a big room, and, and there's four big tables, and Lauren sits at the head of the table with the host. And whatever re- for whatever reason, I always sat right next to the host. And then the rest of the cast sits around the table, and then the rest of the room is packed with about another 100 people from every department, the art department, the sound department, the music department, the, the, the design department, everything. And you read through about 30 to 40 sketches, and Lauren reads all the... Um, the stage directions of every sketch. So everybody's sitting around, and he's the guy going like, uh, "Enter stage right, John, just right. the devil, blah blah blah." So he'll go. It'll say like, you know, uh, the liar, John Lovitz, A. Whitney Brown. The liar enters. Hello, I'm Tommy Flanagan. You know, and he, right. it's like that. So uh, and is there are people like are you allowed to laugh? Is it is that the point? Like to read them out loud, and see what kind of reaction they yeah, get? Yeah, because you want yeah, and you do your best. It's a you know like a cold reading. I mean, it's such great practice for acting because and it, you, when you audition for something, if you go in and they go here, read this, you have five minutes to look at it and go. It's hard to do. You have to learn how to do it. And so this was just great practice at that. 
And before the, before the read-through, you'd get there and the writers come up, oh, I wrote this sketch called this, your character is about this, and you do this and this. So your short-term memory just becomes like excellent. It has to be. So I would read it and I would just perform it all out every, every sketch I could. Because just to be fair to the writers and, and also to give my own pieces, you know, fair. And then some people would like not read it well on purpose and you, you know, you, you get your fucking ass. You know. Not read it well on purpose, what? Your sketch? Or some other sketches, yeah. And then. Is it political like that? Oh my God! It was so competitive. It explain. Was crazy. Go ahead. Explain. Well, because there's 30 to 40 sketches, right? They read through four. They they'll pick 14 sketches to produce. So by seven o'clock, that after five o'clock, by seven o'clock, they go. Here's the 14 sketches out of the 40 that we're gonna do. Wait, what happens to the other 26 at that point? Gone. Do they ever get resubmitted the following? Sometimes, week? but they and once in a while they'll make it, but usually that's it. It's dead. So you did all that work. There's 14. Now the sketches go to the design department and, and, and they have to design the, uh, the, you know, like an architectural plan for, for, uh, for all the sets for these 14 sketches. They get it at seven and they work all night till seven, in, for 12 hours till seven in the morning. They have to be done. And then they ship the, those prints. They, they send them or get driven to, a, a, a Brooklyn where their, the sets are built. And then on Wednesday, you, and also Wednesday night, you're rewriting your sketches still. And Thursday, you're rewriting. You're, you're rewriting till the show goes on the air. <coughs> then on Thursday is usually like three to eight o'clock. And you might do promos for the show with the host where you say like, hi, you know, I'm so, it's Kevin Smith. I'm hosting the show with John Lovitz or the liar in this, you know, yeah, that's it. And you know, you do those promos and then you, you rehearse a couple of sketches. Camera block, you call it, which is blocking is like where you stand. Like you walk here, then you walk here, then you move here, and they set up the shots. And then Friday from like, uh, you're supposed to be there about 11.30, and then from like 12 in the afternoon till 11.30 at night, they block all the other sketches. And each sketch takes like an hour and a half. So sometimes they never finish. And then you come back Saturday at like... Each sketch takes an hour and a half to block? It could take a long time. Yeah, it's very, very uh, tedious. And uh, it, it, it was the most intense thing I've ever done and, and the most exciting. But every moment, your, your adrenaline's going all week. And every week, you're up and down. You're so excited at the same time. Kevin Nealon, I remember, he goes, why is it you have, every week it's your highest highs and your lowest lows? Why can't it just be one week where everything's great? But stuff gets cut. People would be blunt. Like Al Frank and I love Senator Frank. He's great. But he would be very blunt. So you'd show up. And you go, oh, you're not. You'd show up for your sketch. You'd be all excited. Goes, oh, you're not in that. We cut you. I go, well, well could you have called me? No, nah, not, there's no time. You know, and I love Al, but it was just very blunt. Right. So I ended up being like that, you know. John, can you say this? No. <laughs> she goes, nope. And it, it was very, com- you know, it was just really, really competitive. Um, Do people fight? Does it create like uh, animosity? Oh, yeah. You want to hear the funniest fight I ever saw? No, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, Terry course. Sweeney, Yes. right? So he, he, great guy, very talented. So he... He, but he, he's, you know, he's openly gay and he plays women on the show and he plays like Nancy Reagan, right? Yeah. So one day I'm in the hallway and I see Terry Sweeney dressed as like Nancy Reagan and, or, and Nora Dunn just screaming at each other. She goes, well, why are you playing? Cause he was playing some female character that I guess she wanted to play and they're just screaming at each other. Why are you playing fucking women? You know, you're a man. He goes, that's what I do and none of that. And they're just screaming at each other and I walk in on this and I'm just like, ah! I mean, it was the most, the funniest argument I've ever seen. She's pissed at him for playing women that she wants to play, but he's a crossdresser. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Just screaming at each other. Because once they pick those 14 sketches, you block everything else on Saturday from, say, uh, 1.30 to 5.30. Well, 1.30 to 5.30 is supposed to be run-through where you go through all the sketches. But sometimes they don't get to all the sketches. But they, then they have a late run-through. Anyway, 5.30 to 6.30 is dinner, right? So you go to eat at 5.30. Then at 6 o'clock, whatever band's going to be on the show, they go in the studio and practice. So I always eat from 5.30 to 6. And then I go in the studio to see the band because it's like getting a private show. And you see... 
Where is it? Some of the bands. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was incredible who they had. So you're getting some first, of the top rock bands. The first season you're on, uh, well, Madonna's the host of the first episode, but the band, we'll just do bands, Simple Minds. Which was new. I'd never heard of. What's that song they go? Dun, dun, dun. Talk, shout, shout, talking about these. Shout, that's Tears for Fears, a completely different band. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was testing you. These are the. Uh, well, then what is their big hit? These are the Don't oh, You oh, Forget oh, oh. so don't, don't You Forget About Me from The Breakfast Club. That's right. With Anthony Michael Hall. Exactly. So that don't you forget about me. Because yeah. I forgot about your song. <laughs> Uh, the next show was Sheila E. Did you go to that? Did you go watch that one? Chevy Chase was the second host. Yeah. You know what happened the second show? He's the host, right? So he's very irreverent. So so they, we have a meeting with Chevy and just the cast. So we're meeting... <laughs> Jesus Christ. So we're meeting Chevy, and he says... Uh, so he's looking at everybody, and he points to Terry Sweeney, and he goes, Now, uh, uh, you're gay, right? And Terry goes, yes, what would you like me to do? And Terry goes, well, you can start by licking my balls. <laughs> and Terry didn't like that. <laughs> and then they came up with a sketch. Terry goes, why don't we do a sketch where, because um, you know how there's AIDS everywhere now? Like, AIDS was new. So we're like, weigh Terry and see if he's like losing any weight and has AIDS. So he left the room. He didn't like that. Oh, gee, it was I a wonder brutal, why, man. Right. It was a brutal place. So, and then Chevy goes, what? What happened? What did I say? <laughs> Didn't have a clue. Um, all right, going back to the music. Mr. Mister, did you go watch that one? I think so. What was their hit, Kevin? Take these broken wings. Correct. And learn to fly. <laughs> Can't fool me. <laughs> Sade. Who is the host? Uh, oh, you just wanted to do the band? Sade. Sade, we yeah, she was great, you know. And a beautiful uh, woman, big white teeth. And I, I'll, I remember from that on there, she's singing. She had big red lipstick and has a big red smear on her teeth, the whole thing. I remembered that. That was fun. Uh, but after my first show, remember I said about those cue cards? Yeah. So Penny Marshall called me. She goes, learn your lines. I go, why? She goes, I can see your eyes darting back and forth. I'm like, oh, you can? I thought I could beat out the camera. I right. don't know. So ever since then, I, I would learn my lines unless the, unless you're talking right to camera. Then they hold it doesn't matter because it looks like you're whether you're reading or not. It looks like you're talking. You know, uh, you can't tell you're reading. So they'd hold it right underneath the uh, the lens. Oh, but this is I'm missing out on a huge story. So the first show, Lauren says to me, "Why don't you?" Uh, Nora Dunn's doing this character, um, uh, uh, Pat. It's this talk show, and why don't you just put the liar into that? And she had already written it. So I went up to her, I said, listen, Nora, Lauren wants me to do the liar character, so I know you already wrote the sketch, so I only have to say two lines. Like, you know, hello, I'm Tommy Flanagan, I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, uh, I'm the president of that organization. I go, that's it, and then just ask me one question, whatever it is, and I'll just answer, you know, in the affirmative. You know, like, what's your, uh, what do you think of Perry Ellis? And like, uh... I am Perry Ellis, you know, anything, and that's it. And she goes, it's not about you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's like three lines, that's it. Anyway, she wouldn't do it. So I wasn't doing my liar in the first show. So the second show, I did the same liar that I had done on the Tonight Show like eight months earlier. And what happened was, so I did it on, on a, not an update on a set, and Robert Smigel, who, you know, uh, it was his first year, but he wrote Triumph, The Insult Dog, and, and all the cartoons, TV, fun, fun TV with Robert Smigel, and he was a huge writer on the show. <clears throat> but it was his first year, too. He's, then I did that, and the next week he says, John, you're not going to believe what happened. What? He says, this electrician uh, on another floor in the NBC building just went into Lauren's office and said, you know that liar thing on TV? He goes, yeah. He goes, that's the funniest thing I've seen in years. He goes, that thing is hilarious. And Lauren's like, really? So Lauren says to me, why don't you... He goes, John, let's do the liar again, but uh, why don't you get together with A. Whitney Brown and write it with him? I said, okay. So Whitney had forever been trying to show me his stand-up act, and I didn't know who he was. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll see, I'll see. I he started with a joke that was, uh, hello, everybody, I'm A. Whitney Brown. Someday I hope to be the Whitney Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was hilarious. I watched his stand-up tape. 
He was on the Tonight Show. He goes, well, John, he talked about, do you think I'm any good? I go, do I think you're any good? I go, holy shit, I'm embarrassed I didn't watch it before. I go, you're a genius. I go, you're like genius. He goes, really? I go, yes. So we, we wrote it together, and I really learned how to write jokes from Whitney. And ever since then, it was, uh, we'd write it together. And the thing just, it was on that first year 13 times. It just blew up. Doing Tommy Flanagan. Tommy Flanagan, yeah. And it wasn't even my... It started off as an inside joke between a friend of mine and I, a girl that I like. And she said, well, I like a guy with a fat wallet. And I said, yeah, well, my dad just had 15 oil wells come in. And I go, yeah, I'm a pathological liar. And then I worked at this messenger service, and there was this guy lying about it. So I wrote it like, instead of AA, I wrote, you know, a guy confessing, but it's pathological liars anonymous. And then he just starts lying about it, you know. And, and the thing became, it just took off. And the next thing I know, I had a, a friend of mine, she was in an all-girl rock band, right? And she says, John, I'm, tra- I'm traveling the country. Everybody's imitating a liar. And they go, Ted Kennedy just said it in the Senate. This one just said it, this one. I hear about everybody imitating it. Bloomingdale's, they're selling T-shirts. They sold out. What really? was on the T-shirt? Yeah, that's the ticket. Really? Yeah, it became huge. I never heard it, ever, till March. Because, why? Because I'm only in that Rockefeller Center. You know, I'm there after Saturday night, after the show, you know, t- uh, 8 to 10's dress rehearsal, the 14 sketches, they cut 6. Eight make it on air. So out of like 30 to 40, eight are on the air. Mm-hmm. That's how competitive it is. Then you finish at one, they go to, they call it a party, but you go to a restaurant and everybody would talk about the show. You get home at like five, six in the morning. You're wiped out Sunday. You're wiped out Monday. And then you just eat, go to sleep, eat, go to sleep. That work, that's all you did. So I, uh, in the so meantime. You had no vibe from the outside world. Zero. I was, was in that building. On. I was at Columbus and I was at home sleeping. When you if when you got a character catches on like that and they're like we want you to do it again and again and again do you care at that point or you're like I'll do it as many times no I did it again but finally it was like so much and we had a meeting and Lauren goes I don't think we have to do the liar this week and I'm like oh thank God and he goes I don't care what the hell you think he said that yeah I was like it was a tough first year I love Lauren but that first year he was like every Monday he was just screaming at me why because the reviews were horrible. Of the show, they wrote Saturday Night Live, Dead. Everyone think that's original, but they started it then. And they just wouldn't give us a chance. And it wasn't fair because I remember in TV Guide, we'd done 11 shows by then. And The Liar was like, by the third show, it was like a huge hit. It, it would just becoming this phenomenon. And and uh, and I, I never got a fat head about it. I always was, you know, like, holy shit, uh, uh, amused by it. But I, I never got like a fat head because I thought... Hey, it's television. You put anybody on television every week, they're going to get famous. So I go, it's not me. I was doing it at the Groundlings. It's TV, you know. So it helped me, you know, keep my perspective on things. But I was thrilled. I'm like, I'm, I'm a part of pop culture. Last year they said, you look marvelous. And this year they're saying, yeah, that's the ticket. And I remember I asked Whitney, I go, hey, do you think I'm bigger than Billy Kristen? I goes, oh, come on, John. What the hell's wrong with you? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's huge. <laughs> I, and, and, um, but the show and TV Guide, was that we, it only reviewed three shows, and it was just ripping the show. And I wasn't mentioning the fact that we had some good shows, and it was a new cast, and, you know. I mean, look, from Randy Quaid, who was 37, to Michael Hall, who was 17, and he and Robert, they'd never done sketch comedy, you know. But And, and I don't know how much Joan had done some, but everybody kept getting better and better and better. And I know by the 14th show, we'd really gelled as a cast, and it was really good. I mean, look at those people. They're, you know, they're all brilliantly talented. And, um, but they just wouldn't give it a chance. So he was just going, you gotta do it. And I'd yell at him. I'm going, I'm doing my job. I'm writing three sketches. Why was he yelling at you though? I don't know why he focused on you. I don't know. Did you ever ask him? I, yeah, I did. I said, I I went in. I said, what are you yelling at me for every week? I'm doing my job. You do not like me, whatever. He goes, no, 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 no. It was just a lot of pressure. And he goes, you know, don't do that. It's too Jewish. (laughs) I said, do what? Ask me if I like you. And I'm like, and I really, I wanted to like smash his face in. It was so, you know, well, he's Jewish. I, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And the truth is that after the second year, it was just a liar movie and it fell apart. And then I, there was talk of a liar. People movie? would say he said stuff about me. And then I said, he said that. And I said, I was always defending him. And I said stuff about him. You know, those things like everyone's talking about somebody, but for some reason, the stuff you say is the only one getting back. So he was pissed at me for four years. 
And then finally at the end he wasn't. And then I left. Then he was mad again. And then we started playing tennis. And now we're great. You know. But we all, he's the boss. And in a weird way, we all loved him because he gave us the shot of a lifetime, you know. And that's how I feel about him. I love the guy. I mean, he gave me, you know, I say thank you for giving me my, you know, life I dreamed of. You know, that's what he did for me. At and least I'm, I'm forever, show, forever grateful to him for that. On the show, you were always kind of portrayed as his pet, like, you know, Lawrence pet, like he loved you. You were in a lot of the intros, the cold openings and stuff. Well, the first year I hit, I was the guy they didn't expect to hit. And all of a sudden, they go, him, you know. Oh, like Ugly Duckling style. Well, yeah, I was like everything they didn't want in one person. <laughs> That's what Al Franken said. You're everything we didn't want in one person, but you're funny. And I go, what did you mean by that? And he goes, <laughs> Well, you know, like the Tom Hanks kind of guy we wanted. I wasn't known. I was the last guy they wanted. Not the last guy hired, but, you know, Robert Downey, they, he was brilliant. He'd been in movies. Joan been in movies. Randy Quaid was already a movie star. Anthony Michael Hall was a movie star. These are the people they expected to break out. Terry Sweeney was great, very unique. Denitra was very great, unique, you know. Um, but at the end of the day... It wasn't me. They At the end of the day, out of this cast, the... Uh, Season didn't it didn't go well. It didn't get good well reviewed. No, it just it got did so bad. Did the ratings bad. crumble as well? Did what? Ratings crumble as well? Like were people not watching it? No, they were watching it, but they wouldn't stop ripping it. So what happened was, you see, the last show, the host was a uh, Angelica Houston. No, Angelica Houston and Billy Martin. Is that the one where they were did the cliffhanger? Yeah. What happened was the show is so it's the last show of the season. So we decide so they write a sketch right where there's a fire in the writer's room and Lauren sends everybody into the writer's room and the cast except me. So I'm thinking, that's funny. And then Lauren, uh, Terry Sweeney was really pissed about it. He goes, what is this? And I thought, and I go, Terry, why are you mad about it? It's just a sketch. It's not real. There's no fire. I go, it's fake. What do you, I don't even, I didn't, I'm so naive. I didn't even cross my mind. And the next day I thought, well, what if you were sent in a fire and you didn't know if you, because no one knew if they were coming back or not. You know, wouldn't you be upset? I'm like, I thought, oh yeah. What do you mean? Oh, because none of the cast knew if they were returning for the next season. So no, I didn't even know if I was going to be asked back. So they wrote it into the show. So they wrote it that yeah, they they wrote a sketch where where Angelica Houston was the host, but Billy Martin, the manager of the Yankees, who was known for his fiery temper, they wrote a sketch that Billy was really angry that he wasn't in the show more, so he set the studio on fire. In fact, he owned he owned a. uh, a clothing store, Billy Martin. I go, is that your story? He goes, yeah, go in and they'll give you 10% off. It's all like Western wear and cowboy boots, which is like the hip thing to wear back then. So I'd go in and I go, yeah, Billy Martin told me I'd get a discount. And he goes, he told you that? Yeah. He goes, he doesn't own the store anymore. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. Well, that's what he said. He goes, all right, well, we'll give it to you anyway. And I go, well, thanks. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's pretty funny. So, so everybody goes in the fire and then I walk in and they, and, and, and he says to the writers, um, wait for me in the writer's room. And, and there's a laugh because they don't know there's a fire in there, but Lauren does. And then I go in and he goes, no, 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 John, don't you go in there. You wait in my limousine. And then the end of the show, the credits roll and everybody's running around in the fire and there was a question mark after everybody's name. Like who's coming back? Who knows? And they ended up keeping myself, Nora Dunn and Dennis Miller. And uh, N.A. Whitney Brown was, a, was a, a feature player, and everybody else was a, a let go. They just he jetted everybody by the beginning yeah. of the next season. Right? Did you know that you were going to be sticking around, or no? I had no idea. What happened to me was so I'm in Los Angeles, and I'll never forget it. I'm in my car, my Celica cheap car. With, with I, I had no money. I was so broke. I, had, I my seat, my Celica had like 126 thousand miles on it for being a messenger. I was a messenger. And I had a, my chin-up bar was holding up the back of my seat. It was completely off. So, if, if, you know, if I had you a car had a accident, I'd have flying the car? The chin-up bar was holding up my, the driver's seat. <laughs> <laughs> I had no money. I couldn't roll down my window because I went to park in front of the groundlings on Melrose, right? And I thought, should I park here? Oh, my car will get hit. Nah, it'll be safe. I opened the door. Bam! I look up, there's a guy on a bicycle, and he slams into my car door, and he's draped over my window, and he just, like a cartoon, he goes, he crashes, and slowly goes, the window breaks, he goes, and this guy's just hanging over my door, and I'm like, oh my God, I thought he was dead, I go, oh, it'll be fine, 
boom. And I pick him up. I'm like, are you okay? And he was totally stoned. He goes, yeah, oh, man. It would have happened sooner or later. <laughs> and I remember I got Starrant Live and I left the car at my parents' house. And my dad called me, who's stern like that photo. And he goes, God damn it, that thing's a fucking death trap. He got in, he was like, he fell backward. Then he tried to roll up in the window and he fell. And he was like squirming and falling. And he, I was crying laughing. Very serious guy. Did he ask, what are you doing with the chin-up bar in the car? Yeah, I said, well, that seat broke. Remember when I first got it, it was already bent a little. I mean, he was really nice. He bought me a new car when I was in college, you know. Right. But now it's like, you know, you've uh, worn it in. Yeah, like it's like you know, ten years later, and the, the thing completely broke off. So the only I didn't have any I didn't have any money. I didn't have any car insurance. I lived on six hundred bucks a month for like seven years because my dad said he could afford it easily to support me. But he goes, listen, after college, just so you know, you're on your own. And I'm telling you, it's the best thing you could have done. Because, you know, I went to private high school and I went to college and I grew up very nice in the valley, south of the boulevard, you know, as people say. And I did, you know, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know what hard work was. I didn't know anything. And thank God he did that because it forced me. Fear has always been a great motivator. It forced me to make something of myself. And when I finally got Saturday Night Live, I said, I couldn't thank him enough. I go, do you know what you did for me? Do you know what you did for me? He goes, what? You didn't give me any money. He's like, what? I go, don't you know how great that is? You made me make something of myself. Because every kid I knew that their parents, you know, were wealthy and they go, well, you want to be an actor, we'll pay your rent. They never did it. Because it was too easy, you know. Whereas the people who had nothing, they made it. Because they go, if I don't make it in this, I have nothing. So it, for, it, it was a great thing that he did for me. Without, He looked shocked when I said that. Let's do the cast real quick. Just any memories you have, we'll go by them one by one. Joan Cusack, did you get along with her? Oh, yeah, I love Joan. Loved her. I had a crush on her then. Not now, in case you're listening. But yeah, I, uh, she was great. Joan was great. Really funny. We wrote a character, uh, Biff and Selena. We did that about three times, these characters did. And uh, she was really, really funny. And we, yeah, we hit it off right away. Loved her. Very sad to see she wasn't hired back. Very surprised that she wasn't hired back. I thought she was great. Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey, he was 20. Couldn't have been nicer. Uh, he ended up uh, introducing me to his accountant, which is still my accountant. You know, I didn't know anything. Couldn't have been nicer. He'd say, uh, he, uh, and I, he'd been already working, so I'd, I'd ask him a lot for advice. I had the same agent as him I ended up having. And he had like a, I go, what do you do with your money? He bought a keyboard, played music. So I go, oh, I'll buy a keyboard, you know. <laughs> and I did. I didn't know what to do. And he, he, um, he goes, you know, John, I do these poems. I make up these poems. Do you want to hear one? I go, yeah, sure. So he tells me these poems he did, and they're completely, like, completely out there and his own dialogue and nonsensical and yet genius. I go, he goes, what do you think? I go, they're genius. You should do a book of these things. I go, I've never heard anything like it. It's so, like, colorful and descriptive. It'd be like, you know, uh, like Alice in Wonderland, the, the word jabberwocky and the this. and I mean, he, he can do stuff like that. I mean, he really is uh, uh, brilliant and the sweetest guy in the world. Oh, and he also, he would do great characters like, uh, um, he thought he had to be out there. He did a character, Spine Boy. And he'd go on stage and he'd pull out his spine and be like this. You know, he was great at physical comedy. Just did, my favorite there. thing I remember he ever did on SNL was they did a Martian invasion sketch. And he played a Martian, and like the government and the world is terrified of the Martian landing. And they come out, and he's carrying a like musket from the Revolutionary War. So it's like they've got a spaceship, but their weaponry is a musket. And he had this really <laughs> arrogant fucking like delivery where he's like, bow before the might of our muskets. You know, and then there, I think if Randy Quaid had an yeah. automatic weapon, he was like, we have these. <laughs> you know, and they were like, we'll be back. You know, took off. <laughs> Uh, Nora Dunn. What do you remember about Nora Dunn? Aside from the fact that she wouldn't let you be in the first sketch, first show. And she Nora, made it to the next show with him, next, next season with you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Nora, Nora's talented, but, um, uh, you know, she's very, uh, I think she's very, 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 very hard to get along with. Bitch. 
Anthony Michael Hall. I love Nori, but she was, you know. I'm trying to save you here. Anthony Michael Hall. Moving on. Will you move on? Anthony Michael Hall. um, Nice guy. I actually ran into him a couple weeks ago. Great guy. Great actor. Uh, He did this sketch where... uh, it was a very funny. Oh, Tony Danza hosted, and there was a third. We did a, a boxing sketch. It's not. You can see it. It's pretty good, actually. I was in this character, Vinnie Barber, who's like a announcer from the uh, '40s. You know, hello, I'm Vinnie Barber, the voice of the Chicago Cubs. You know, now the wind up, and here's the pit. It's a hit. The ball's going back, away back to the back of the wall. It's gone. My, that ball must have landed in the Great Lakes right about now. No, I can feel the splash clear up to here. You know, and is the outer in? The fish has got the ball in his mouth. He's wearing a Cubs uniform. He's out. <laughs> and I would, I would do that sketch with my friend Casey Sander, who was in the Groundlings and on Grace Under Fire, and he would play a Jimmy Slaughterhouse Jones, who was like a country bumpkin, and it was like the birth of the greatest broadcasting team. We did it in the Groundlings. It became like it was like Don Meredith and Howard Cosell, you know. But anyway, I I, I did this sketch where I, I don't know who wrote it. I forget, but. It was called the, Tony Danza hosted. Tony used to be was a boxer, you know. He really was a boxer first. So we did a boxing sketch, and there's and he's fighting Anthony Michael Hall, who's like you know tall and thin as a rail. And there's a thirty second knockdown rule. So they come out and fight. I'm Vinny Bala. It's a new thirty second knockdown rule. Here's the you know they're fighting all of a sudden, and my you know and Anthony Michael Hall goes down, and then you see the um, the referee going one, two, three, four. Like, well, we have some time. Let's talk to the champ. So anyway, da, 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 you know, for 30, then I interview him 30 seconds, and he'd finally get back up. He's completely out. Knocked down again. All right, well, let's go back. Let's show a clip of the last fight. Here we go. As they're doing the countdown. And it's pretty funny. I'm like, I don't know about this knockdown rule. I just don't know. And then, <laughs> but Michael Hall, it was, I was, I, I think you see the list of hosts when, when, when Tony hosted. So, how far down is it according to this thing? Uh, Tony Danza, um, uh, four nineteen. So, the fourth to last show five, of the season. So one, ten. two, three, four, five, ten. Fifteenth show of the season. Yeah, the fifteenth show. Michael never did sketch comedy. I remember A. Whitney Brown and I. We'd watch the whole show on on, on uh, Monday, and we're watching his sketch. And we go, look at Michael Hall. He's just brilliant, brilliant, and so funny that with the physical comedy, the way he would get knocked out like the third time. He just kind of like lifted off his feet. You know, of course, he's not really getting hit. He's acting and just like he would just go and stand up on his feet and just go, you know, eyes would get glossy. His eyes rolled back. Boom. I mean, just hilarious. You know, a, a, a great guy. Uh, Dennis Miller, who then also went on with you to the next season, 86, 87. Yeah, Dennis and I, we became really good, uh, uh, very close friends. We had no money, you know. I mean, and, and he didn't grow up with any money, you know, his family. And I remember he goes, Lovitz, you want to come over to my apartment? Okay. So we go. He's renting an apartment, uh, uh, like a, in a town home, you know, which is like, you know, a four-story building. And then the, you, there'd be a base, uh, uh, like a, an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment below the level of the ground. And he's renting it from Robin Williams for like $400 a month. I mean, that, we were getting like 3500 bucks a show. Now, the most money I ever had was myself. In high school, I had like $1,000 in my bank account. And then once after college, when I moved back home, I said to my dad, I can't afford to live. I went, Let me get a job. I'll save my money, and then I'll move out. Okay. So I lived at home for about six months, saved like a grand, and moved out. And rent was, you know, it was a lot less back then, but still a lot. That was the only time I ever had $1,000 in my bank account. So we're getting 3500 a show, and I, I wasn't like cashing my checks. I literally, I went to the bank once, and I had $5,000 to deposit, and I filled it out, and I, I got nauseated. <laughs> because to me, it was so much money. It was insane. Because I've been living month to month, you know, so I'm like, $5,000, you know how long, and this is like six months I can live. It really was two weeks now, because it's 3500 bucks a week, right? Is that what you said? 3500 Oh, well, could I live on that now? Yeah, no, no, not now, but I mean, at that point, you went from, you were making 3500 a week, so two weeks, you got over $5,000. Yeah, but for some reason, I had these checks, and they totaled to, I don't know, they totaled that. I know, it's, I know, the math doesn't work out, but that's That's why you needed fucking Robert Downey Jr.'s accountant, man. Yeah. Uh, Randy Quaid. Uh, Randy Quaid was like the 
you know, older than all of us, like a mentor. I went to him for advice on everything. Nice, nicest man in the world. You know, I know he's having some trouble now, and I feel horrible for him. All I can tell you is he's the nicest man in the world. Uh, and you know, what a, you know, we're all thrilled. It's Randy. You know, we all looked up to him. He's a big movie star, fantastic actor, really funny. And he was doing Reagan. That was his big impression. He right, he did Reagan. Reagan. That whole season. Thought, yeah, the. Yeah. Terry Sweeney was Nancy Reagan. And Terry was Nancy. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> Terry was hilarious, great energy. Really, he always made me laugh. There was some book called uh, by Eric Morris called No Acting, Please. And Terry would all Terry had at the time he had he had like he was like rail thin and he had this blonde hairdo that was just like straight up bleach blonde hairdo and these big blue eyes and he got and these big teeth. I go, Eric, I go, no acting, please. He goes, no acting, please. You know, he'd just make fun of the book. And he was hilarious and re- really talented and moved really funny. Uh, Denitra Vance, she uh, passed away in 1994, yeah, right? Yeah, it was horrible. I remember reading about People magazine. I started crying. It was horrible. Denitra was as sweet as could be, re- really talented, you know. And she did this, uh, um, I remember she did some Shakespeare sketch. It was like a spoof of it, but like in the project called Cabrini Green. Which is a big project in, in New York, and it was like Chicago, Shakespeare Chicago. or Chicago. Sorry, I don't know. But she did that, and I remember my parents were there, and my mother goes, "Oh my God, Denitra, that was so beautiful and amazing, and just the nicest uh, woman." Yeah, it's horrible. She died of breast cancer, and you know, it's, it's horrible. But so at the end of nice. this season, man, uh, you find out that you're going to get to come back next season with the. Uh, yeah, I didn't even gun. know. I did my liar character. It got so big, and. Uh, there was an article in Time Magazine about Saturday Night Live, and it goes, the biggest rags to riches story, John Lovitz, who went from being a messenger to signing a, a, a deal to star in his own movie at Universal for $500,000. But the movie never happened. It was, it, was, it was very disappointing. But I remember that summer talking to Lauren, and I said, well, am I coming back? He goes, of course you're coming back. I go, well, I don't know. You never said anything. I had no idea. So that summer they said, who do you work well with? Or Dynamite said, we want to bring people, like, who do you work well with? We're asking all the cast members. So I recommended like Phil Hartman, Tim Stack, Lynn Stewart, and Tress McNeil from the Groundlings. They're all had been there for years, and they were all super talented. Lynn, uh, uh, Tim was like on Son of the Beach and Dirk, uh, Dirk Diggler, the talk show host. Phil, you didn't know, but Phil was like the king of the Groundlings, you know. And uh, and uh, Lynn Stewart, you know Missy Vaughn and the Pee Wee Herman show. That's Lynn and Tress McNeil. You'll always see her name on the Simpsons. She's like the top voiceover artist and, and a brilliant actress to boot. Brilliant. So I recommended them, but he ended up um, uh, 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 picking Phil. And then uh, they, and I remember being in our, uh, Bernie Brillstein's office with Phil, and we met Dana Carvey. And we go briefly, and then we left. We go, oh, that Dana guy, he's really nice. I hope he gets the show. Well, Dana got the show, and he recommended Kevin Nealon. And then uh, they brought in Victoria Jackson. And I don't know who and, and, and Nora Hooks. and Dennis and I came back. And Jan Hooks as well. And Jan Hooks. Jan I'd Jan Jan I'd worked with before. I did this sketch show, believe it or not, before I got Saturday Night Live on the Playboy channel called Twenty Nine Minutes. And it was I was thrilled to do it because I could do these characters and it was like three hundred and fourteen dollars a day. You know, I was making like forty dollars a day, less taxes, you know. So this was a fortune to me. And um so I'd met Jan and so this cast was different because we were all more, we were all like in our like late 20s or early 30s. Phil was like 37, like Randy, but everybody else was in their late 20s or early 30s. Everybody knew each other or knew somebody on the show. Um, and everybody's background was comedy. Whereas on the show before, you know, you had people like, uh, uh, they're funny, but they hadn't done exclusively, you know. Like they, Randy Quaid's an actor, Anthony Michael Hall's an actor, and Robert yeah, Jr. An was an actor. Yeah. Yeah, Randy apparently had done improv before and stuff, but, right. but, you know, their background was more of that. I still, and when I got there, I was glad that Phil was there. I was thrilled, you know, my friend, I didn't know the other guys except Dennis and Nora, but, but, uh, you know, I really, it was awkward. I really missed those guys. I felt weird, you know, I'm like, where are they? They're my friends. I wish they were here. And I, I was, uh, you know, it's like going to a new school, and you're like, who are these people? And it was sad. And I remember Dana Carvey comes into my office, and he goes, I'm going to hitch my... <laughs> he goes, I'm going to hitch my wagon to a winner. Let's write a sketch together. I'm like, who are you? What do you do? He goes, I'm going to hitch my wagon to a winner. We still talk about that. And I remember when they hired the new cast, Lauren goes, John, you're going to have a lot of competition this year. Oh, but I left something out, uh, Kevin. Go ahead. 
Well, you just, say it like I'm, it's my fault. Well, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, my first year in the show, I got uh, nominated for an Emmy. Is that right? Yeah. What, for that season, 85, yeah. 86? Look at you, man. Yeah. Did you win? Ha! <laughs> Did I win? These are the nominees. Whitney Houston, Patti LaBelle, Debbie Allen, Sarah Vaughn, Stevie Wonder, and me. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. is behind me, right? And he leans forward, he goes, what are you, the token? <laughs> and I go, I know, it's ridiculous. And I had a publicist, she goes, you're gonna win. I said, are you insane? I'm not gonna win this. I go, if I win, they're gonna say it's the most racist thing ever. <laughs> Me and five black singers. Because it was just a catch can, you know. It was, and, and I didn't expect to, I didn't win. I think Whitney Houston won. But I was fine. But I remember behind me, I was, I was there at the show because they're going to do catchphrases, famous catchphrases, and they asked me to be part of it. This is my first year working. I couldn't believe it. So Sammy Davis Jr. is at the rehearsal behind me. He's doing Here Come the Judge. Adam West is behind me. He's going to do To the Bat Cave, you know. And they're going to do, yeah, that's the ticket. I couldn't believe it. I mean, that summer, my dad called me and goes, John, look at the Sunday paper. It's in Doonesbury. Gary Trudeau did a whole cartoon of it. This was an inside joke between a friend of mine and I. Now the whole country's repeating it. It was in, I couldn't believe it. It just blew up. And, and then I did it. And I remember being backstage at the Emmys. And I said, Dad, come on. you got to come backstage with me. And I'm in my tuxedo. I'm all proud. And my dad's back there, and, I, and I'm sitting on a couch, and, and sitting across me is George Burns, and I think Milton, I don't know who else is there, I forget. And right next to me on the edge of the couch is Lucille Ball, and I'm going, fuck, I can't believe it. And, I, and you know, she's like 70, in her 70s. So then I, all I remember saying to her, I go, oh, I go, would you like to sit down? She goes, no, thank you, dear. <laughs> Should have a smoker's voice, you know. And I mean, it was just, you know, thrilling, you know. I would say it's probably the most extraordinary year of my life. My life completely flipped. I went from being completely broke to uh, being able to support myself. Although at the end of that first year, I had, I came back, I had 1500 bucks left to my name. <coughs> I went from being completely unknown to being completely famous, the whole country imitating me, a, a, a deal to star in my own movie. I got to do a sketch with the most memorable, with uh, Mick Jagger. And, and Jerry Hall was the host. And I, I had to go to the studio. And Lauren goes, Mick's here can you, in the studio, John. Can you go show him how you do the liar character? And I'm looking at Mick Jagger going, oh, hi. Well, anyway, I do this thing. And in my mind, I'm going, holy fuck. <laughs> Talking, I'm explaining Mick Jagger, the liar. I mean, you know, like you have some, you and Jason have your little inside thing. Now you're telling Mick Jagger, here's how we do it. It was crazy. Um, it was, it was, you know, life-changing. It was just phenomenal. And, the, yeah, very much. Yeah, it's, it's uh, weird how your mind, like, just starts remembering everything. I mean, I got a lot more, but Damon and, well, anyway, da Damon ended up getting fired. That was, Lorna never fired anybody. Well, tell that fucking story. Don't be like, Damon. <laughs> You're doing that old man muttering thing. Just say it out loud. Well, look at me. I'm 108. <laughs> What, he got fired? And Lauren doesn't fire people? No. Well, what happened was, Damon, Damon's a great guy, and so he got, he got the show as a feature player. His brother, he goes, my brother Keenan, he's gonna, you'll see, someday he's gonna be really famous. He's really good friends with Eddie Murphy. He would always say that, you know. Like, my brother Keenan goes, yeah, you'll see, someday you'll see. But anyway, Damon would, he would write a lot of sketches. Most of his sketches, like five to six pages. But he'd write like 11 page sketches. And instead of like doing Gumby, he'd write Bazooka Joe. Now, you have to understand, he was like 23. We didn't know what the hell, you know. And he was really funny. But <laughs> they wrote a sketch, I think Whitney wrote it, where I was like, Jerry, or, oh no, this is when Jerry Hall was the host, I think. And um, I was doing Master Thespian in Africa and everything. So he said to Denitra and, 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 and Damon, like, you're like, you know, natives in Africa in this movie sketch. Well, Damon goes, what? I, so he's... And he was mad. He goes, I'm not going to stand here with a spear. I, I was so, I'm going, Damon, it's not real. It's a sketch. And you have lines. And it's just a movie in the 30s, like Tarzan, you know. And it's, 
And I remember, but the funny thing about this case, they had a camel in it, you know. And when I when I said to the camel, I had a line to the camel. And when I w- went up, went up to it, the camel lowered his head to me. So I went, oh, so this is what the fun part of the show. So on air, I'm talking with Jerry Hall. I'm going, very well, very well. And then I walked up to the camel. I knew he's going to lower his head. So I went up to the camel. I went like this. And though the, he lowered his head, and I go, be prepared to improvise. <laughs> you know, it was very fun. So Damon was like really mad about that. He couldn't get his stuff. So we did a sketch. Griffin Dunn was the host. And there's a sketch where Randy Quaid and, and uh, Griffin Dunn's like a, a, a Mexican immigrant. And he has a lawyer. Jack Candy wrote the sketch. He wrote Deep Thoughts with Jack Candy. He has a lawyer, Mr. Monopoly, which is me. And I have a, and he gets arrested by the Mr. Two Monopoly from the game, Monopoly? right? From the game, and I'm Mr. Monopoly. I'm his lawyer, and here's my card. Get out of jail free. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll be on our way. You know? Well, I opened the show, the cold opening. I did my liar sketch. The place went ballistic, and I knew I was, you know, I hit. Then the next sketch, I come on as there's a cold opening. I come on as come on as Mr. Monopoly. The place sees me again. They go nuts, right? And at dress rehearsal, Lauren said to Damon and Randy, just play the characters really straight. The ca- cops. Anyway, he, we, the sketch goes on air. And instead of playing it straight, Damon just plays it like completely effeminate. Like, like his character. Like this. Two like two, band, two snaps yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. He's doing that. And Lauren went livid. Because he went directly against what Lauren said. and went, He just got himself fired. And, and he fired him. And so, but to Lauren's credit, Lauren, he brought Damon back later in the season to do a stand-up act, you know. That, that's what happened to him. Right on. So we were going to end on such a high note, and then you're like, let me tell you about the story where Damon Wayne gets shit-canned. Oh, I'll, t- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story about the show. Okay. So I'm doing my liar character, and, there, and I'd go downstairs, and there was this kid, right? And, and, and he'd be dre- he loved, like, loved hockey anyway. He loved jersey. He goes, Hey, I love hockey, I love hockey, and I'm a big fan, and I go, oh, nice to meet you, and he'd be at every show. And then when I said, well, you want to see the offices? Yeah, so I bring him up and everything. And then he goes, let me see your office, so I show him and stuff. And then he, I go, anyway, that's the view, you can see, and I, I turn around, and he has his pants down. He goes, you want to have sex? And, you, and today, that kid is Kevin Smith. <laughs> There, how about we end on that story? On that note, yeah, maybe we'll get out. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for John Lovitz. Thank you for sharing your memories with us. Come back soon as we'll continue to learn uh, the history of this man on the ABCs of SNL. And the story of when you became straight. That as well. Thank you and good night, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for John Lovitz. Find more funny shit like this at smodcast.com.